everyone. Last week, a joy. Was it? Last week was a joy. One good reason why we need to thank God for answered prayer and the way he's moving amongst us. You know, when we ask God for something, it's good for us to come back and thank him when he answers prayer. And that's a, a lovely place to be. Anne's had to leave us this morning. I don't know the circumstances. I'm not going to even ask them now. But I think we're just going to pray for Anne. It's a family situation, I think. So Her brother's fighting for his life. It's been a week of tragedies this week. Riverside have lost one of the young men to a tragic accident in Romania. And um, other things going on. Maybe tragedies we know about here. But these... It, well, it is part of life, and that's the world we live in. But I, I, I just feel we need to pray for them. We prayed for allergies. We just need to, to pray that they will know God's strength and help. It's like Bob was saying, it's a bit unknown, isn't it, when things like that happen. Father, we just pray that this morning that um, we pray for Anne. We pray for other families in this area, Lord, who are trying to face situations which... They probably don't know how to deal with. And so, Father, we pray for wisdom, understanding, and above all, to know your amazing comfort and guidance in life when they happen. Jesus, you're able to redeem any situation, however awful it is. You're redeeming this world in all its mess, which we'll think about this morning. But, Father, we're just here to thank you that amidst all these things, it's time to thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us last week and the joy we experienced over young lives standing and giving their lives to you. We pray for your blessing on them and keep them in their Christian lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well, we are. this is the third week into um, a little series on Romans. And... Um, We've had some really good times in the last few weeks. Just mentioning the word Romans is going to just need to catch in our mind. We need to work harder at this book as we come to it. You may need to go home and, and read through it time and time again. And, and bits You need to come back to them and, and, and feed back to them. You can't just leave it up to us as preachers. You need to get into the book and, and put time in it and effort and see what God is saying to you. It will help us understand it better, you know, beyond growth groups, if we just um, keep in with where we are on a Sunday morning, just to, to see what God is saying and how he's working and how He is moving. And uh, so we're just the third week into it, and the first week uh, Steve kicked off and um, sort of opened up the subject by saying, really, this book is about the King's Revolution. It's held in awe by the whole world of theology because of its preciseness in, in bringing the truth of the gospel to the church. It has its own history in our history, um, in what we might know as the Reformation. Um, and I don't, it seems like a boring thing to me, the Reformation, if someone says Reformation, but you know, the Reformation was part of the King's Revolution in this country because it rescued people from a way of life 
that God never meant them to be experiencing. And really, that's the same message today, isn't it? God's about rescuing our lives from situations and experiences which he never intended that we should experience, let alone the future. And so um, I, want to re- I want to refer to bits of the Reformation later on. And where we're going this morning is, um, I don't know if Paul got the, uh, he, he did get it. I've got three little headings this morning. Pegs of doctrine, aspects of faith, and pictures of paradise. And you say, well, how does that fit into all that? Well, you'll, hopefully you will see by the time we finish. But first of all, I want to read to you the two verses that uh, we're looking at this morning in the first chapter of Romans. Paul is writing a letter to a place he's never been to, to but he's, he's writing to Christians. He's, he's not assuming his importance to go there, but he's looking how that he might go so that the church there and he himself might just be encouraged, as John mentioned last week. So Steve started with the, the King's Revolution and, and John last week unfolded uh, helpfully, you know, the, the amazing gospel, how that... It, it, it's really about transferring our trust. What do you trust in? Where is your trust this morning? What, what, what's, what do you, what's making you live? What's, what's making you tick? What moves you? just jumping over to the end of my sermon this morning I just want to put this before you your salvation is only a heart change away your eternity is only a heart change away did you know that you might think of old reformation bible doctrine teaching church oh I can't take it all in But in its simplest form, your whole life with God is only a heart change away. And I will come to that at the end. You will see how it fits in. But for now, we can look at two verses. And within these two verses, there are actually ten pegs, if you like, ten pegs of doctrine in just two verses. What are pegs? They're anchor points. A woman hanging out at a washing will hold the pegs and it holds it in place someone putting up a tent will put the pegs in around the tent in a place which will hold the tent up if the wind comes along we just hold it up so that you can go in and use it really that's that's the nature of a tent but it has pegs and they are anchor points so the point is this morning within these two verses there are 10 pegs of doctrine which actually are anchor points for this amazing gospel which we believe in this morning. And we might not want to go in very deeply to doctrine of the Christian faith, but it's important. We need to have something which has a foundation, something which is provable and reasoned, and something which God has put in place that, in the first instance, we may know nothing about and we may not want to get into, but they're there. We don't just come together 
just for the sake of it, to have a good jolly. Underneath what we do, there's a foundation. And that foundation has points in it which are very important. And so we're just going to see, and I'm going to run through them quickly after I've read the first, these first two verses. So, verse 16, Paul's writing in this letter, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, which is taken from the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk, which is Paul is referring to here, the righteous shall live by faith. These two verses, they actually summarize the content of the letter to the Roman church. It's a summary, you know. You may see that. It might become clear as we look, we look through it. And so the first point is pegs of doctrine. They are relevant. Doctrine is important. Even though we may not have a casual, even a casual interest in it sometime, find something to underpin who we are, what we do, what has happened in the past, and what will happen in the future. Now, I'm just going to briefly point out these pegs of doctrine because it, we haven't got time to go into them in detail. But doctrine is important. I have a couple of books here. The first one is this Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. And you, will actually, you, you say, do you want to swallow this? <laughs> but it's about biblical doctrine. Yeah. He's a good guy. And he's intellectual. And he understands the scriptures. But it's important. If we've got nothing to go on and we're just having a good jolly, then there's just no point in what we do or who we are as a church. So there's one reference. That's a modern book. I have a book I always refer to, I love, and I don't think I would give it away, at least because it's got a signature by Spurgeon in it. Um, but it's called Many Infallible Proofs. It's an old book by a guy called A.T. Pearson. He was a doctor of divinity. And um, I really love this book because it, it proves the worth and the wealth of Scripture. It proves the world, the wealth of God. It proves the, the, the intricacy of Scripture, its consistency, and its amazing truth. And it brings it to life. But and I just want to read you a little bit of his testimony. It's called A Word Preliminary. That tells you how old it is. <laughs> it says, The writer of these pages once found himself getting into the deep darkness of doubt. Beginning at the foundation, he searched for himself till he found the proofs ample that the Bible is the book of God and Christ the Son of God. It was like finding one's way out of a dense wood into the full light of day. Others are still in the dark, and these chapters are the blazed trees that mark the path by which one man got out of the forest. Perhaps someone else may try the same route with a like result. It was those truths, the doctrine that we believe in, that actually helped this man out of the dark. 
Many infallible proofs. I recommend it to you if you want to read it. Right, quickly, these seven points, these, set, these ten pegs of, of doctrine here. The first one is the gospel. Is the gospel a doctrine of scriptures? Yes, it is. Because, as John mentioned last week, it's God's good news of his saving work in the world. It's good news because the word gospel comes from that word which was used by the people returning from the battle as they cried victory, saying, we've won. We've won. And that was always good news to the people. And so the gospel is like that. You know, it's, it, it's a part of the Bible, it's a part of what we believe, that actually tells people, he's won. He's not only won, but he's won for you. He's fought the battle. The Bible itself says about what Jesus did for us on the cross. He's destroyed him that had the power of death. Is that not good news? That's the gospel. The gospel is good news because it actually it meets every person or can meet every person where they are. Just where they are. It's good news. That's the wonder of the gospel. And it has to be part of the doctrine. So quickly... The second point, peg of doctrine, is power. You know, you might, we might watch two wrestlers, and you don't know which one's going to win. But obviously, the one with the strongest power wins over the other. You say, is that, what, is that part of the doctrine of the Bible? No, it isn't. It's not about power rating. It's about impossibility being turned into possibility. Power in the gospel means that God has done for us which no one else or nothing else in this world could ever do. Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians church, he said, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and I remember, as I was Steve or John mentioning several weeks ago, when you're dead, you're dead, you can't do anything. You're in a, a, a state of impossibility to raise anything to get you up about that state. What it's done, something has happened for you and to you that actually lifts you up and makes you alive in that. So the gospel has power. So does the Bible have the doctrine of power in it? Yes, it does. But it's this truth that God has done in this world and for us, the impossible that no one else or no one or nothing else could ever do for us. Saving us from our sin and giving us life, eternal life, power. And so when we come to the Bible, we do, we do read of battles won and degrees of power. But when it comes to what Paul is talking here about, he's talking about the impossible being made possible. The supernatural the miraculous, what we couldn't do ourselves, God can do for us. That's power. Number three, God. Paul talks about the power of God. So it's related to God. So what do we think about when we think about God as being in the midst of what we call doctrine? Because there are many gods, 
the world needs to know who is the one true God. And we need to know that. The church needs to know that. There is only one true God. Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There was a singular, singular work of redemption only in Jesus or power in Jesus that no one else could fulfill. And so it's like as we think about God, there's no one else could actually work this out and provide this for a world in need. So we think about part of the Bible's teaching is that there is only one, one true God. The next point or peg of doctrine is for the number four is salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation. What is this salvation? Well, simply, the salvation that the Bible talks about is God's rescue mandate in place for people. God's rescue plan in place for people. God has seen his world messed up. God has seen his world in need. And he has put in place a plan, a rescue plan. And so when we look at the Bible and we read the word salvation, we know that that's an important part of the overall gospel, that God rescues. And that's what he does today. And as we talk about Jesus, it's about a rescue mission. Because when John talked about that last week, I think we were talking about someone drowning in the water and had been thrown a a life-saving device, and you say, oh, I'm, I'm all right, I, you know, it's there. But it's the point of rescue. It's about a rescue plan where God rescues us. Salvation. It's also a spiritual solution for spiritual lostness. The Bible would tell us that we're lost in this world, because we don't know our God and we've failed to, to know him or to meet the standard that he requires. And in that sense, there's a spiritual lostness. But he'd gone out to find us. I think that the sort of stories that Jesus told would indicate that he's about finding people who are lost. Finding people who are lost. So salvation is about a rescue mission for people who need to be rescued. Individuals. The next peg of doctrine is faith, which largely figures in, this, in these two verses, this faith. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. Faith, first of all, it's an imparted gift of God. Had God not given it to human beings, we wouldn't know what it is. So essentially, faith is a God-given gift. The fact that we believe in anything at all and actually trust ourselves to that, that is an overriding gift, and we understand and we know what we're doing. Faith, not only is it an imparted gift of God, but it's, it's spiritual and it's supernatural. You can't talk to your dog and say, um, I want to tell you about Jesus for a minute. He, uh, he was a man, he was born into this world, and the dog may be looking at you. You may think he's understanding, but he's not. 
you talk to the dog and you go on and you, you, you talk all the details or the doctrine of the Bible to your dog and you say, now do you believe that? You won't get any answer back. Because the Bible tells us there's one flesh of mankind and there's another flesh and there is a difference which goes against current teaching and on evolution and stuff like that. But neither can one gorilla say, oh, it's my brother's birthday today, I want to send him a birthday card. Because he doesn't know the, know the day his brother was born and neither does he understand anything about birthdays because God has not imparted the understanding to animals. They're glorious and wonderful. They're the creation of God, but man stands supreme because God created us in his image after his likeness. So when it comes to faith, we're talking about a unique thing that God has given to you, each one of us, that no other thing in this creation understands. My, uh, my son had a lovely surprise recently. Um, his friend was getting married in Italy, and uh, he thought, oh, well, that cost us a bit, but he was, the whole visit for a whole week was paid by the father of the guy who was getting married. Now, the thing is, um, all of the family, their family, are afraid of flying. So the father, he, he booked a coach in Whitstable, a luxury coach, which took them all the way 14 and a half hours to Italy. There were two drivers on the coach, and one would sleep, or supposedly, and the other would drive. One was a young guy, and one was an old guy who was the owner of the business. This didn't cost him a penny. Didn't cost them a penny. They were paid for the week in the hotel, and all they had to buy was their food and stuff like that, so it was a nice surprise. However, when the, old guy, the older guy took over driving, he kept on nodding off to sleep. And they were going round these windy roads in Italy, and every time he nodded off, they all screamed. <laughs> so you say, which, which was the worst of these scenarios? But the whole the point here, A, was they believed that one thing was safer than the other. It was, you know, now where do I put my trust? In actual fact, where they put their trust worked out to be a lot worse than what it would have flown. So that was the only black mark on the holiday. Apart from that, they enjoyed it. But of course, having gone the journey there, they weren't looking to the journey going home. There was no peace on that journey. In fact, there are instances in life when you have no peace. But you know, if we step onto an aircraft, you're actually trusting the pilot. But you always seem to say, oh, I'm trusting the pilot. But there are 6,000 other things that you need to trust in as well. In a little sort of way, it's sort of, under, under, it's sort of saying, you know, there are other things that we need to think about. And when we think about the gospel 
of Jesus Christ and the doctrine. Yet we think about the pilot who is Jesus, but there's so many other things which are important to our faith as well and what we believe in. But apart from that, faith is this gift of God. You know that he's given to us and it's where we place it. It's an imparted gift. It's spiritual, it's supernatural, and it's unique. The other point, peg of doctrine for us this morning, is history. And you say, well, explain. Now, if we just separate that up and we say, well, history is made up of two words, his story, then history actually becomes a point of truth in what God's doing in this world. The Reformation, I mentioned the Reformation, and it was a revolution, a time of revolution. You may not believe in the flood, but I believe in the flood. God flooded this earth. That was a point in time in history. And you say, well, that's an isolated story. Until you read that God was involved in this. And he said, mankind has become so unavailable to me. And he goes about doing his own thing. He does this the way he wants it. And that way the way he wants it. So did God get out a big stick and say, Bleh. I don't like this lot, let's get rid of them? No. It's because God could see the heartache and the sadness and the suffering that man was giving to himself by his way of life. And so as we look at history and we think about history being part of his story, which the Bible talks about. We read in, in Hebrews that God spoke in times past. So if God spoke in times past, it's become part of his story. And now he's speaking to us by his son, who is Jesus. God is still speaking. There's a story still going on. So history, as his story, becomes a point, a very important part of what we believe this morning. God is at work, and God is about the future. He has bringing to us an amazing plan. So history, seven, righteousness, the crucial issue. This is the crucial issue in this letter of Romans. Tim Keller says that righteousness in this letter is the crucial issue. In a broad sense, what is righteousness? Well, it's the person who is as they ought to be. Now, God never intended man to be like it is today. He created him perfect. He created him so that he could relate to God and God would be in communion with man. And that became broken, so it became not as it ought to be. So in a broad sense, when we're talking about righteousness, it's God putting us back in a place where we ought to be. That's the broad sense. In a doctrinal sense, it is the way in which a person can attain this God-approved state. God does not need reasons to prove your right of perfection. He doesn't, he doesn't need to see that you're righteous. What it does mean is that God treats you as if you had never done anything wrong. You never were a sinner. 
If we understand the intricacies of the doctrine here, when we become a believer, we're placed in Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus was not only the beginning, he was the beginning of the beginning. It puts us back in Christ before he ever created the world. It's about placing us in him as well as how God's us accept us for who we are. That's an amazing thing, this righteousness. It does mean that God treats us as if we'd never sinned. Number eight, the scriptures. Within the scriptures are what we know as prophetic dynamics. This is a point of our reliance today, so in actual fact, it's a point of doctrine. We're not just believing something ethereal. We're believing something that's written down and recorded, recorded by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and available for us to read today that we can find life and find hope and find peace. And the Bible talks about itself, saying that it's... The Bible, the Word of God, is, is the sword of the Spirit. And it can do wonders for us if we see what it says and we understand what it means. So the Bible actually becomes a point of the whole makeup of what we're believing. Resurrection. It's doctrinal because it's factual evidence as recorded. And... Um, we talked about the power of God for salvation. The Bible, when we talk about becoming Christians, the Bible talks very much about us once we were dead, but now we're alive. So the concept of resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, if you like, but the power of Jesus' resurrection, resurrection is like what happens to us. You see, what's dead comes to life. And didn't we sing that in our song this morning? What's dead comes to life. Life. So there's a doctrine of resurrection here. But not only that, it's contained within the scriptures. Just to take one simple, one simple verse from Daniel 12, he wrote this, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. And that's a prophetic word given to a future day when people will be raised from the dead and made alive again. So the resurrection... And Revelation is the other one. In verse 17, we revealed the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Pigs of doctrine spent more time on that than what I intended. But where do we find the aspects of faith? There's a story in Luke 23, 39. You will remember that the day Jesus was crucified, Luke tells us that there were two other criminals that were crucified with Jesus and um, it says quite specifically there's one on the right and one on the left hand it tells us that both these criminals were railing at Jesus and they were abusing him and uh, saying all things of manner against him and uh, this was going on I don't know if you could ever imagine that day when the crucifixion was going on. It would be very busy. There were people walking past saying, oh, you know, this got what is due, got what they're due. And 
how this story ever got recorded is amazing. Because there must have been people standing around the cross that day, listening, watching intently what was going on. Because at one point during that time, one of the thieves, and I just read it to you, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And this is interesting. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Now, my point is this. In these two verses, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, the evidence of doctrine that we have in the Bible, some of which I've spoken about this morning, can meet a child who can simply say, I believe in Jesus. I look at what he's done for me. But it can also meet the most intellectual of minds. It's a reasoned faith as well as a simple faith. And in this story of the criminals, I wonder what was at work here. Because the other rebuked him. Faith, in a sense, was coming to the defense of Jesus in a public situation. It was saying he rebuked the other one. Very often you'll hear Christians rebuking people for what they say, for taking the, name, the Lord's name in vain and stuff like that. But it was coming to the defense of Jesus. So faith is like a spark had lit the bonfire. Because... His salvation was only a heart change away because he was railing at Jesus, mocking him, and his heart changed. Now, we don't know why his heart changed. But when we read in our passage this morning that this gift of salvation, of righteousness, revealed from faith to faith, we ask ourselves, and what is this faith to faith? And what is it? Faith for that man was simply a change of heart. And that can be just where any of us could be this morning. It doesn't mean to say we've got to believe all the doctrine or understand it all. It's, it's really only a heart change away. To find my peace with God, for you to know your peace with God is really only a heart change away. But this criminal's heart was changed. It was turned over. To God. My last point, and time's gone as it usually does, pictures of paradise, because he asked Jesus to remember him. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, will you remember me? And um, in itself, it is a simple faith, isn't it? Jesus, you're coming into your kingdom. I've seen now that you're a king, and there's something more to be done beyond this death which you're dying. And when you get there, remember me. 
And Jesus said to him, Okay, mate, when I get there, I'll remember you. Amazing. Would you just like to be remembered in the future? Many people are remembered in the future. But you see, the faith, the simple faith that he had was actually transformed into something more for him than what he originally had in his heart and in his mind. Because you know the story as well as I do. Because Jesus said to him, do you want a reply from God this morning? He's only a heart change away. He's only a heart change away. You don't have to believe all the doctrine that I tried to explain to you. For this thief, this criminal, Jesus, the future, paradise is only a heart change away. My last point was pictures of paradise because very often, if, someone, if I said to you, what, what, June, what's par- what do you think paradise is? It's a hard one. You're quite right. What's paradise for you, Wally? Being with Jesus. Anybody else got any? Jesus. Okay. It's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's mentioned by Paul, and it said he was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, I saw things that I couldn't explain. It was paradise. When we come to Revelation... Uh, the writer, John, is, is, is writing to the church at Ephesus, and it's talking to the, those who overcome. Those who overcome in a situation, you know, they will have the right to the tree of life, which is in the paradise. And so we can only say this morning, paradise, in a sense, are to many people just pictures. But Jesus put that straight, because he said to this criminal because of your heart change he said today you will be with me I think that's so amazing so amazing Jesus is only a heart change away it explains these two verses which we've had this morning because here was this man pinned to a bit of wood he couldn't go and be baptized he couldn't say sorry for all he'd done to the people around He couldn't go back and make amends for all he'd done. He was pinned to a bit of wood just like Jesus was. But his heart changed. His heart changed. He actually, we read a conversation, but actually he then prayed to Jesus. And his heart change began there and then. And that's so amazing. I think that's such an amazing story. It doesn't mean to say we've got to leave it till the end before we become believers in him. Let's take the benefit of it now. Let's grasp hold of this amazing gospel. We believe that what Jesus did for us was so amazing. In a sense, all we do is say, yeah, I want to change. I want to be in that place of accepting. The righteousness I have is someone else. It was called an alien righteousness by Luther. He said, I don't understand it. That's someone else's righteousness. I can't believe it. But that's how it is. And that's what that criminal had that day. Although he didn't understand it, he received it because he was promised 
to be with Jesus. Now, do you want that promise this morning? Do you want that future to be right? I'm sure you do. But it tells us that only a heart change away. Only a heart change away. Let's finish there. Um, just want to sing a little as they get in ready for coffee. We can sing that song. And I just felt we've had lots of words this morning. But sometimes we can have doubt. Have doubt about who we are and where we're going. And the Bible talks about another thing, which is assurance. Many hymns written about having assurance here and now. And if you're not sure, if you're not sure you have that peace with God, now, for your journey, we'd love to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for everything which underpins and gives foundation to that which we believe. Thank you for Jesus who simply gives us the answer and the purpose and the way. So as we sing this, this song now, I hope it's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust, there's the trust again, the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So just stand, let's just drink in these, these words as we close. If you need assurance, then we're ready to pray with you about that.